Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Ah, happy, happy holidays, by God. How, how much happier can they be? Well, we're going to find out because we're talking about one of my favorite Open up topics. Your right eye. Open your eyes aren't even open yet. It's very bright. It's very early. As you and I are recording this, it's a Sunday. Now, normally we drop our show on a Friday or well, we used to, uh, but you had some stuff going on. So, Hey man, it's still dark out and we're recording, but whatever. I'm excited to be here. Me too. So 1996 is uh, one of my favorite years to discuss. And of course that's the year the boyhood dream came true. And I figure, Hey, we're uh, wrapping up the 25th anniversary of 1996. Who better to talk about than the man that year, Shawn Michaels. This is probably the biggest and most important year of his career at that point. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think that, you know, in many ways, this was the turning point. This, this was the anointment year, if you will. And, uh, yeah, pretty damn important because this, this was kind of the, here you go, kid. Show me what you got. The, uh, the year really starts for Shawn Michaels on the heels of the Owen Hart Enzigiri puts him on the shelf. And now he's going to build up a return for the Royal rumble. And he's going to come in at number, uh, or at the 32 minute mark and last until the very end when he super kicks diesel and then wins the rumble. And now he's the first ever consecutive Royal rumble winner back to back. So to win the rumble back to back and to start the year. With that big Owen Hart angle, which we've discussed before, I mean, you're already off to one hell of a start. When did you guys know we're going with Sean? Is that something that you knew? Obviously you knew it by the rumble, but I mean, did you know in, 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 in survivor series or SummerSlam or when was it apparent? Well, next year, it's gotta be Sean. I think probably around SummerSlam. I think probably, you know. It was a time that it was, it was the right time and looking at everything, you start positioning the, the whole thing that happened, uh, with Sean getting beat up and all that shit and the collapsing in the ring. It just was, well, we, we need to go kind of, cause you want Sean to be the guy, um, and part of it was, do you, do you lose a little bit of that cockiness and attitude and, and go with him as, as champion to be the, um, the humble boyhood dream? Uh, do you continue on? And, and it, we essentially went for a hybrid. It's uh it's an interesting time, you know, to know that he goes down in November, uh, with the Owen Hart thing. And then the, the big buildup to the rumble return, which has almost become a staple once upon a time for WWE. And then, as we said, he's on the, he's got the rocket ship strapped to him, right? He's, he's got that upwards trajectory, but somebody else who doesn't is his old pal, razor Ramon, who's been suspended at the time. Of course, uh, we know that he and diesel are both going to be leaving. And I guess the theory is, uh, the rest of the click may stick around, but I don't think things are super rosy with, uh, the one, two, three kid, uh, how big of a question mark was this? Hey, we're going to, we're going to go with Sean, but three of his four friends might not be long for this world. 
That's life. That's what everybody says. That's life. I, I think that at that point, you know, early, when I say early in January, I think that there was still a little bit of a hope that if anybody was going to stay, that Razor was going to stay. I think that you looked at the two between Razor and Diesel, and, and I don't even remember if Diesel, Diesel had come clean yet. Um, it was who's who has the long term in him, and that the feeling at that point in time was that Razor had the long term in him, and that Razor would be able to have that program coming right out of Mania with Sean as champion. And I think that's probably, I would just assume that that would be the idea. I mean, because we know that he and, and diesel had one hell of a match, but the idea that, you know, you didn't have a timeline that where these guys were finishing up the Sean razor thing had been a thing for a long time for the intercontinental title and had tremendous matches. Why not for the world title? Right? Sure. And it was also a little bit, well, role reversal here as well. And it was there. You knew, you knew you had a spark of magic. You knew you had something special in Sean and razor. So it was, man, let's go get it with, with this other twist on it with Sean as the WWE champion. Do you know what the relationship was like with Sean Michaels and, uh, Vince McMahon and we'll call it early 96. I know it's been, you know, weird over the years at different times where it's sort of hokey pokey. They love each other and they hate each other. Or, you know, we've heard people say, oh, Sean could get away with anything. He could say whatever to Vince and other people couldn't say boo. What was it like here in early 96? I think their relationship was as good as it had ever been. So I think there was a lot of confidence from Vince's point of view. And I think that, uh, Sean was looking to, to kind of be the man. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you think there was a lot of frustration on Sean's side with Vince, man? Why can't you just pay my buddies to keep him around? Things are just now getting good for me. You know, I've got these ready-made opponents. I don't want to work with these other guys. I want to work with these guys and, and it's your fault. They're not staying. I don't think that Sean thought it was Vince's fault. Okay. I think that, you know, from Sean's point of view, it was the business and it was his but he's had an opportunity to go do something else. And, you know, as we've all found out over the years, it wasn't all about money. It was about schedule and it was about a, a whole different way of looking at the business with what was taking place in WCW. Sean's like, okay, Hey man, go, you go do that. I'm going to do this. I think that if anything, Sean was frustrated at the situation, but there wasn't anything Vince could do. Right. And Vince did try. Um, so it's like, all right, go do your thing. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to do my thing because it truly was Sean's dream. Listen, I know I'm, you know, I loved what they did with the NWO, but I got to tell you with Sean as champ, I still think I like the idea of him wrestling more of, you know, Brett and taker rather than razor and diesel. What say you? I think so too. I think that the, especially uh, with diesel, it had been done. Yeah. You know, we, we had been there, we had done that. And frankly, the two of those guys in the ring did not have the magic that Sean had with, as, as you say, Brett taker and razor. 
So Shaw, Shaw did have a fucking chemistry with those three guys that was, was pretty damn good. So since we've talked about the whole situation with, with razor and diesel, since Sean knows, Hey, these guys are leaving. Do you feel like he's maybe pushing extra hard behind the scenes for Hunter? Like, Hey, if these guys are gone, I, I don't want to work with him. So we got to get him ready. I only ask because on the way to WrestleMania, uh, Sean goes on a, a win streak over all the mid-level heels at this point, Yokozuna Tataka, and Hunter, but he even winds up working with Hunter at Madison square garden. So just me trying to, I don't know, guess it feels like if two of my buddies are leaving, maybe I want to try to get the office to get behind this other guy so I can work with him. Yeah, I think Sean was, we all were, we were needing to create opponents and heels for Sean. Right. So when you look, you look at the roster, Hunter was the next logical guy to come up. Uh, Austin was another guy that was like, you know, he, he can come up and, and make this work as well. So Sean's going to defeat Owen in your house. Number six to retain his number one contender spot. Brett is going to defeat diesel in the steel cage to uh, go ahead and set the stage for WrestleMania. And we've talked about it before, but there were issues that Kevin had with Brett over the finish. Do you think that impacted the way Sean looked at Brett? We know eventually they're going to be on a real life collision course and Kevin and Sean are thick as thieves. So when Kevin starts to have issues with Brett over a finish, do you think that at least plants some seeds with Sean? I do. I I think that not just Sean, but some of the other talent in the locker room that were of the mindset that, man, you know, Brett could be a little more cooperative. And, and as I say that, I think that that's talent's point of view. At the same time, you have to look at uh, a guy like Bret Hart, who was a top guy, very well respected and deservedly so. And one thing that that I will tell talent uh, to this day is be selfish. Nobody else is looking out for you. Be selfish. Fight for what you believe. You're not always going to win. But, but at least be in the fight, at least have an opinion. And at least when you have that opinion and you disagree with something, come with something else. Don't just disagree. Disagree and then say, what if we tried this? And then listen and truly listen and try to, try to make things work within. Maybe two ideas are better than one and you can mesh the two together to create something really magical or maybe one or the other is better. But don't just say no. And as human beings, I think that a lot of times we come from a place of, no, I don't want to do that. What do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? So that becomes the, you know, the the stumbling block. And for Brett, uh, in this situation, I think Brett was more along the lines of, of Brett was looking after Brett because I think that he felt no one else is looking after me. Why sure. not? In the run up to mania and the Iron Man match, uh, both diesel and razor are leaving, of course. And now that means the heels that Sean is looking at on the other side as future opponents, Goldust, triple H, Steve Austin, Vader. Owen and Davy boy, you know, I know that 
we could say, oh, I don't know. That's not a lot, but look at that lineup, dude. In hindsight, it's all hall of famers. I mean, Owen and Davey, two of the best wrestlers of all time. Vader, former world champ, Steve Austin, going to be the biggest star in the business. Triple H man. He, since we've been recording this, he probably won another belt and Goldust, My goodness. I mean, the idea that you're not loaded on that side from a heel perspective looks pretty solid to me. Yeah, sure. It does. And, and from that, from that side, I think that your leading contenders were probably Steve Austin, Owen and Goldust. Uh, the uh, epic Iron Man match takes place at WrestleMania 12, of course. And, um, well, we've talked about it a lot here on the show. If you, if you like it, you loved it. No need more to talk One about the it. Greatest of all times. That's what I wanted to ask you, Bruce. Where does that main event rank up there? I know personally WrestleMania 12 was a special one for you because you and the lovely, uh, Stephanie were getting married, but I do want to ask all time WrestleMania 12, where does that rank for you? I think that it was, you know, there was so much on it that, that was kind of special to me from the Hollywood backlot brawl with gold dust and Piper to Sean and Brett, which I thought was one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it holds a sentimental place in my heart because this was a very big, you know, changing of the guard and, and we're going to try something else. And yeah, it's, it's definitely truly, uh, in the top five, you know, WrestleMania 17 being number one still to me, I think is the best WrestleMania presented ever. Um, and then I wasn't there, but WrestleMania three has to be right there as well. Talk to me about the buildup to this match. I mean, that really sort of set the stage for Shawn Michaels. You know, we started to talk about him wanting to be champion his whole life. And of course it's going to big build to the big payoff where he wins the belt and Vince yells, the boyhood dream has come true. But in order for that to be the story you're trying to tell, the most charismatic, the most I forget all the other shit that he used to say. Shot the heartbreak kid. Shot my God. I like you snuck an extra breath in there at the end. Uh, the Jose Lothario component is a big part. You're welcome. Talk to me about how Jose, I mean, did, did you guys feel like, Hey, you know what? We've shown this little kid with so much attitude. We need something to soften him up. We need something to show the sweeter side. We need a Rocky Mickey type relationship, a karate kid, Miyagi relationship. H- how does Jose become a thing? Who, who pitches that? How is it received initially by Sean and, and tell me about the, the filming of those vignettes, because we almost had like Rocky style training videos for both Brett and Sean leading up to this, uh, just carry me through the sort of pivot and presentation for Sean. Well, Jose had a special place in my heart and Jose had a special place because of his connection to Houston wrestling. I'd known Jose since I was a kid. I knew the whole transformation of Shawn Michaels from his training with Jose Lothario. And I believe that Shawn 
was the first and probably only guy that Jose had ever trained that made it. Um, it was, it was a bit of a give back to Jose and a thank you for all those years of him. He mentored me a lot when I say, you know, he mentored me a lot, not on an everyday thing, but I learned an awful lot about Jose about the business and about the business side of things. And Jose was never one that was, you know, selfish and, and held back knowledge. Jose was, if you, if you showed the desire to learn, Jose would teach you, but you had to fight for it a little bit. And he was very old school. So it was sentimental on my part. I think it was sentimental on Sean's part. I think it was a way that Sean could give back and, and say, Hey, uh, here's a, here's a little run. Come on in and, and make some money and, and get some national worldwide exposure that Jose had never really experienced to that level. So let's um let's catch up after WrestleMania. It's set up right away for Diesel to challenge Sean to get Sean a big win to start his title reign, but I guess also, you know, we want Sean to beat Diesel on his way out. Did you think you had to position him as some sort of a, a giant killer because he wasn't Hulk Hogan size or what have you? Uh, or is, is that more of a secondary thought behind, well, we're going to really get one more match out of Kevin. So let's tell that story now. If, if you were to look at the roster and the biggest guy that Sean could defeat that you're not going to get again, uh, it would have been diesel. If you were looking to get a program out of the biggest guy, uh, you weren't going to get any more. It would have been Razor. We didn't have time for a program. So it was looked at as go get go get the win over Diesel, and that will solidify you right off the bat. You know, the first, first go-round as champion that you're defeating a former WWE champion and a big bastard in Diesel. No kidding. I mean, and those guys did have great chemistry. We've talked about that pay-per-view before. Check it out in the archives. Um, but he's got, Sean's going to have his first European tour as champion, uh, after that pay-per-view and he's working with European, the of European, uh, diesel, Austin, Davy boy, and triple H uh, you're getting about 4,500 people a show on this European tour. Um, when do you start judging a guy's like business wise, especially in this era, people would say, you know, that if it's a good card or a good house, rather, Hey, uh, the, the champ helped get us here. He was the draw. And if it wasn't so hot, well, maybe we got the wrong guy on top sort of thing. When's enough time to start taking a look at those indicators to see if people are with it or not. Do you know, right away, is it something where you need six weeks, nine weeks? What does that look like? No, I think you need about six months before you can really tell a lot okay. of times. It, it, it's not instantaneous, especially when you look at the European tour. Sean wasn't the champion that was advertised in the beginning. Mm. So the, uh, the epic match, as we said, with Sean and diesel, uh, was good friends, better enemies in Omaha. Um, there's the whole messy angle that's going to be up next with Jim Cornette accusing Shawn Michaels of hitting on Davy boy Smith's w uh, wife, Diana, you know, he probably, Sean probably loved the idea of working with, with diesel. And then you got to involve some legends and have a, a crazy over the top main event. 
I can't imagine he hated working with Davy boy, but I do wonder, what did he think about this creative of him perhaps being involved with Diana? I know Davy boy wound up not liking it worth a darn, but what about Sean? Now, first of all, again, to clear up a lot of myths, uh, I think from Sean's point of view, Sean was up for anything and we were looking for a personal issue, something that people could relate to. People could relate to jealousy. People could relate to a girlfriend going out with another guy or even a wife having an affair or what have you. Maybe it didn't happen to them, but it happened to a friend. And it was something that people could actually go, yeah, I, you know what? I get that. I'd kill that son of a bitch. And it wasn't, the story wasn't that Sean was having an affair. The story was that Cornette and Davy boy were creating this to basically turn Sean in the eyes of the audience and say, this is a horrible guy. This is that. And, and everybody on the heel side was in on it. Um, but unfortunately, as things often do, um, people take it personal. People look at, you know, you, you, you have to realize that, which, which is something I don't get a lot of times, but I really do get it, is you're playing a part. You're a character. The character should be able to place himself in any situation and make things work. Okay, just take your character and put it into a situation. How would that character react in that situation? Not the human being, not the person, because the audience doesn't know the real human being and the real person. As a spectator, it's like I want to believe that what I'm seeing there, that's him. That's my guy. That's how he lives. That's who he is. Um, But they're characters. They're. They're not, they are real people, but they're not. And sometimes when you mix reality with fantasy or you want to create something based in reality or you want people, you know, you want people to believe, you want people to be invested in the story. Uh, Sometimes, man, it's when that's your real wife, even though she's playing a character, yeah, it's kind of hard for, to take people calling her a, uh, W H O R E. I was wondering, like, are we spelling bad words now on the show? Is that what we do? Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. So the curtain call takes place at Madison Square Garden. It's Diesel and Razor's last night. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that Hunter and Sean came in the ring. And we also know that Hunter got quote unquote punished. What we don't know is what Sean's reaction was to the punishment. We do know that Sean's untouchable. It's not like you can really punish your top guy, but do you remember Sean ever having any conversations with Vince about what the fuck are you doing with Hunter? Put it on me. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He had conversations with all of us. Um, 
you know, I remember being in a, a, a single dressing room, wherever the hell we were at TV right after that, Sean coming in and throwing the belt on the little desk there where, you know, you got the mirror and the lights and all that stuff and throwing the table and goes, ah, you can take the championship, man. It's going to take it back. Yeah, I did it. And, uh, so it's like, okay, yeah, you did. And it just, it was an unfortunate deal. I didn't like it. I've gone on record (laughs) saying I didn't like it. You know, Hunter, Hunter came in with a completely different attitude. Hunter came in with an attitude of, you know what? Um, I apologize. And, and I understand that. I'll take whatever you guys want to give me. And it was, that's what it was. So that's, I mean, again, there's nothing really more you can say that hadn't been said before. That's just, that's just how shit happens sometimes. Did you see Sean's attitude start to change around that point? You know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I don't know if change getting, maybe getting a little, a little cockier, a little more. You know, um, he's going to say, uh, I don't know. There was a, maybe that chip on his shoulder got a little bigger. Mm. Well, I, I just know that before, you know, he was world champ. He, um, gave you some problems. I mean, there are some times where he would quit and I'm not coming back and all that. And then you have to unify the intercontinental titles. And there had been some issues along the way. But it does feel like at least when he first becomes the champ, he tries to mind his P's and Q's a little bit. And then somewhere more of that attitude comes back. I've heard some stories about Shawn Michaels. Once he became champ that, you know, he would go out and try to be Ric Flair. He'd spend $10,000 in a night at the nightclub and all that. And the bills would get back to his dad and his dad would, who's helping him with his business would say, son, what the hell are you doing? And you also saw saw Sean in this era, you know, go buy the big gold quote unquote president Rolex. And he's trying to be the man, the old school NWA touring champion. He's been looking for this opportunity for a long time. I mean, even when he was a teenager, he would, you know, do little photo shoots dressed like flair and try to mimic that. And now as champ, it feels like he's taking this role fairly seriously. Do you remember Sean taking a lot of pride and. Hey man, it's finally my time and, uh, drinks are on me and check out the new watch and all that jazz. Absolutely. I think that there was a, there was a physical transformation and there, there was the attitudinal transformation that you saw. And Sean, again, in regard to that, living out the boyhood dream and trying to be, you know, Hey, I'm going to, as you said, he would go out. I'm nature it tonight. Yeah. And pull out the Platinum American Express and everything's on me. And that was something that if you listen to guys like Randy Savage, it's not what you make, it's what you say, brother. And Sean wasn't subscribing to that. (laughs) (laughs) Sean Sean was more of, of, you know, uh, I'm going to make it and I'm going to spend it. I'm going to have a good time because I'll make it for a long, long time. 
So eventually Mike, uh, Mikey, uh, Michaels and Davy boy would face off at in your house, beware of dog. Uh, we've talked about this before. This is the power outage show. Um, Vince was surprisingly calm at this point. He's had really two big pay-per-view defenses. Oh, could you compare the two matches? Obviously it's tough to match or, or discuss the, the power outage show, but overall chemistry, did you prefer Sean? With Davy Boy or Sean and Diesel? Oh God, um, you know, uh, two completely different different matches. I, at this point in time, I think I preferred Sean and Bulldog from the standpoint of it was different and it was different than Diesel. It was a, a different kind of match where Sean could really shine with Davy Boy, and you would have those fast moving and just a different style of match. To me, also, it was during this time, and in in particular, the Beware of Dog pay-per-view, where Sean, man, Sean was my guy for In Your House. Sean was the guy that I could say, Sean, I've got 19 minutes. Sean go off at 18 minutes, 45 seconds, every time. And I'd play chicken with Sean. I'd, I would give Sean real cues. Other guys, I had to cheat because they couldn't hit a cue if it, you know, smacked him in the face. It's like, huh? And, you know, for that, I trusted Sean. I knew that no matter what I gave him, he would deliver it every single time. So while you had different things to deal with with Sean, when it came time to perform, Nobody could touch him. Let's talk about, uh, King of the ring. We see Sean in there with bulldog again. And finally that storyline gets put to rest. Of course, this is the King of the ring that was supposed to be hunters, but now it's about Austin three sixteen. But after we get through this pay-per-view, it's time to start talking about Vader as the top heel. Um, you know, when you guys watched Vader in WCW, and I know maybe you didn't see everything he did, but boy, he had a series of, of really great matches with the top baby face, the young flamboyant, charismatic sting. And now it just feels like, well, Hey, let's just switch that out. Right. Let's uh, out go sting in go Sean. We can have a series of great matches. And I know that sting and, and Sean were definitely different types of wrestlers, but the, the good looking, young, charismatic baby face that, that the girls and the kids loved, there are some similarities there with the way they were presented at the time. Did you expect Sean and Vader to have really good matches just based on what you had seen from Vader and WCW? What I had seen from Vader and WCW was he beat people up and it was completely, you're talking apples and pomegranates. It, it in comparing Sting and Sean at the time, because Sean was a completely different type of talent. And I'm not sure that Sting could have had the type matches with the guys that Sean had great matches with and, and been holy cow. Um, I think that had Sting been able to work with Shawn Michaels, yeah, you would have had those holy cow matches. Um, but there was hope without a doubt. Otherwise we wouldn't have done it. There certainly was hope that you could get the magic of the bull Vader 
and the underdog, Shawn Michaels, and hopefully be able to make Shawn that underdog in, in that series of matches. But there just wasn't any chemistry there. By the way, at WrestleMania 12, not only did the boyhood dream come true for Shawn Michaels, but uh, a lot of boyhood dreams came true that night when the warrior came back and now warrior scheduled to team up with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson at international incident. They're going to be taking on camp Cornette. Of course we know it doesn't happen. This is the time when the warrior gets fired again, uh, this time for missing some shows. And now Sid is back in the mix and he's going to be replacing him before we talk about Sid. Warrior Sean and Ahmed Johnson. Is that the most random group of baby faces in the history of wrestling? It hurts to even say it. It does. To even think about it. Good Lord. Could you see, could you see those entrances of the three of them? Once they got into the ring? No, I don't know how it was ever going to work. It feels like it really was a Royal rumble at random. <laughs> Let's put off the baby faces and draw numbers or something. I don't know, but. When Sid winds up being in there, at least there is a backstory with him and Sean. Um, that couldn't have worked out any better for Sid here. Could it? I mean, Sid's gotta be the guy who benefited most in 1996. So we talk about it a lot in sports that, you know, when someone's out, maybe due to injury or whatever, it represents opportunity, but what a big opportunity this is for Sid, but it's kind of hard to imagine that it would ever go the other way. Like I know Sid winds up stepping ultimately into Vader's spot, but he, he had to get the Jersey in order to be there. But can you imagine for a minute and close your eyes? What if it wound up being warrior at survivor series or warrior at rumble against Sean? What God, that just feels oh bizarre. God. You want me to have nightmares this early in the morning? <laughs> Talk to me about Sid. What was his relationship like with Sean at this point? Was Sean excited to see Sid back? Yes, actually he was. And I think that, you know, when you look at the, their relationship, it, it was, it was an interesting relationship. I'll never forget Sid at, um, oh gosh. Um, WrestleMania 11 press conference, uh, Harley Davidson cafe, and Sid basically getting Sean dressed, you know, and straightening his collar and tying his tie for him and pulling everything up, flipping his hair back and all that. And it was, it was a good relationship. They, they did. They liked each other. Do you think Sean preferred to have matches with guys like Brett and Owen more closer to his own size where he could get more technical and do some more spectacular stuff? Or did he prefer to work with the Sids and and the Vaders and the Diesels that he liked the whole David and Goliath story from a match standpoint? Sean liked a story in his matches. And I dare say that Sean could work with anybody and his matches with likes of Owen and Brett and, and people like that are some of the greatest that, that you will ever see. But then when you look at his matches with someone like the undertaker, or you look at his match, you know, even with Sid, that it's, it's a different style of match, but yet it was still just as good. It was different. You look at the matches that he had with mankind that was completely out of mankind's realm and out of Sean's realm, but man, it was magic. So international incident is where we see some of the 
the Vader, Sean Michaels stuff, at least get turned up. And so, you know, Hey, this is where we're headed next. When was it apparent? These guys were just not compatible in the ring. Did you not know that until SummerSlam or were there hints along the way? It was all just confirmed at SummerSlam more than anything. There was, there were doubts of man, is this going to be what we think it's going to be? And you get to SummerSlam and that was confirmed. So you look at it and you, you have to make a decision. And the decision at that point was, are we better off with Sid? So before we talk about, are we better off with Sid? I do want to talk about Cornette because Cornette in this era is very much managing Vader. And it does feel like he and Shawn Michaels at times were a little bit like oil and water. What was it about? Shawn Michaels that rubbed Cornette the wrong way or vice versa. They're different people. I mean, just completely different people. And it was oil and water that man, these two guys aren't going to go out and get a double cheeseburger, extra cheese, double onion, extra mayo, motherfucker. Was it just that? Okay. Was it their philosophy on wrestling? Just. They both had different opinions. Are they both too similar and that they're both headstrong or was it just personal? Like personally, they just did not like each other. Personally, I don't know. See, because a lot of their, their thought process in the business is, is the same. It's like I've always said about Cornette and Paul Heyman. They're the same person. One's from New York. One's from Kentucky. Um, one speaks like this, the other speaks like this, sir. Um, <laughs> Amy would get upset back then. I'd say, you're just a sophisticated Jim Cornette. And Cornette, I'd say, you're just a countrified Paul Heyman. They're the same. They're very one and the same. They have the same beliefs in many ways. They go about them differently. I would think that Cornette and Shawn Michaels were the same in that regard, but their personalities could not have been different. Their personal likes, um, outside of the business couldn't have been more different. Let's talk about the Cornette thing. Did it start here with the whole Vader run or was that apparent even back during the Diana Davy boy stuff, or did it even predate that? And long before they worked together or against each other on camera, Behind the scenes, it was just chilly between the two. No, I really think it, it, it started during the Vader stuff. At least that's my perception of it. I don't know when, you know, Cornette started disliking Sean and or vice versa, but my perception is it was during that. I've heard rumors over the years that Cornette didn't like the way that Sean treated Jose Lothario. We'll call it late summer by late summer was the bloom off the rose for Sean having Jose around. Oh, well, yes. And then that was, um, yeah, it was, uh, but also we wanted to get, we wanted to get to San Antonio and, and looking for Jose to help us in San Antonio. And that could kind of be the swan song at that point. 
Why did, why did Sean not like having Jose around? Did he feel like it was holding him back or limiting him creatively or what was Sean's issue? Well, if you're the, you know, the cool cat ladies guy and you're the guy that every woman wants to be with and every guy wants to be, it's kind of hard to do that with an older gentleman, you know, in your corner, rubbing your shoulders and, and patting you down and come on, John. And to me, you know, Jose Lothario was a legend and one of the greatest to ever lace up a pair of boots. Putting him with Sean, I think, kind of brought Sean down on the world stage. Did Sean bring that up or did you guys realize it on your own? And, and when would that have been? Do you think where that started to be? Hey, man, maybe time to move on. Really? Right after WrestleMania 12. Okay. So it worked to build to him becoming the top guy, but once he is the top guy, now it's maybe too much of the good stuff. Well, it was, it was like, okay, man, um, we need, we need to move on here. How do we move on? And we got to get there. So you had, you know, you had this, you had this issue, but Sean just couldn't dump him. That makes sense. No, for sure. I mean, you have to write it off uh, or he's going to have to heal on him himself, which isn't what you want to do, which won't work. Yeah. Unless we're going to turn him full fledged heel. But even then, even doing that, would people have cared about it? I don't think they cared about Jose enough at that point. I get the vibe that Shawn Michaels has always really enjoyed portraying a heel more so than a baby face. But did he think at the time? In order for me to get this top guy run, for me to get a run with the world title, et cetera, et cetera, which has been my goal, I'm gonna have to be a babyface. Or did Sean like being a babyface? It's much more fun to be a heel, and for Sean, I think Sean enjoyed um being a heel much more so than being a babyface. But it's kind of a necessary evil in this. I mean, in this era, the WWF, and I guess really for a long time had been a baby face territory. I mean, you had tried a couple of runs, you know, with Yokozuna here and there as a heel, but by and large, your entire experience up to this point has been the top guys, a baby face here, right? Yep, exactly. And I think that for Sean to. We needed Sean to mean something as a baby face here as a singles champion so that people could say, all right, man, uh, Sean's, Sean's my guy. When we're talking about being a big baby face and, and the face of the company, we should at least mention this is the era where Sean gets an opportunity to be in Playgirl, which is not something that a WWF champion has done up until this point, as best I can recall. And I just wonder, you know, we're not exactly the quote unquote PG era, but we're not, we're we're still a ways away from the attitude era too. Was there any hesitation corporately as to whether or not Sean should do that? I mean, here's a quote unquote baby face and the face of our company and the champion, and he's gonna put our belt over his gimmick in a quote unquote nudie magazine. Was it a nudie magazine at that time? And I, I'm, I'm really asking that because I I did not have a I subscription. Didn't look at it, 
beyond Sean's photo spread. Uh, I have not either. That's all I've ever seen of the magazine, but yes, I would assume it is the female equivalent of playboy or the male equivalent of playboy. Well, see, I, that, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it was. I think that there may have been like some risque shots, but I don't know. I really don't know. Um, nor did I want to find out frankly, but at the same time, it was, it was a magazine that was on every newsstand up front and center and to be able to have your champion, uh, on the cover of a magazine and every news newsstands used to be a thing. That was great advertisement. If you could be on the cover of any magazine. So I think it was viewed that way that this is exposure, you know, is it risque? Is it controversial? Absolutely. But Sean was risque and controversial. So man, let's go for it. Let's, let's go to demographics. We hadn't gone to before. Uh, our quick little Google search says that, uh, Playgirl started, uh, as a magazine that would not show full frontal nudity, but eventually did, but we know that Sean did not, but still it is a little interesting. It's hard to imagine, at least in my mind, I can't close my eyes and imagine Hulk Hogan doing that photo shoot. But, but Hulk did do a, a, a thing in we magazine many years before that. I bet there's a funny voice you could do when you say we magazine, but I don't have one <laughs> off the top of my head, but I just know you doing an accent. Ah, <laughs> 24 inch pythons, brother. Uh, Let's talk about international incident. Vader's going to pin Shawn Michaels for his purse, his first pinfall loss of 1996. Think about that. We're in July and he loses his first match. I know that we say a lot in wrestling, oh, wins and losses don't matter, but sometimes they kind of do, right? I think that this one did. Yeah. It was meant to absolutely meant to, um, it's been said and the observer many, many times that, so therefore it must be true. Uh-huh. I know that's what you're going to say. Still, it's been insinuated a lot that Sean did not like doing jobs. And I guess nobody really quote unquote likes losing, uh, but apparently Sean at times would, would be a little fussy and temperamental and difficult to work with, et cetera, et cetera. Did you see any of that on the wins and losses discussion when Sean was the top guy? Or at that point, did he feel validated because I'm the champ and they're not taking the belt off me. So whatever you want to do. Yeah. Sean was fine to do that. And again, the perception that Sean didn't want to do business. is just simply perception and not a whole lot of truth to that. Okay. Fair enough. Let's talk about, um, Sean as the champ in 96, you know, we said that and, and Brett even said when, when he was discussing what Sean's plans were sort of post WrestleMania 12, that Sean disclosed, oh, I'm going to work with razor diesel, one, two, three kid hunter. And so Brett sort of quickly realized, oh, okay. So just your friends, you're not helping anybody else. You're just helping your friends. We know that doesn't happen very much because well, they're all out of here or being punished with the exception of, of that one pay-per-view with Kevin Nash. I'm just wondering now that he's the top dog, how much influence does he have over his 
current and future programs. Is it something where he's still showing up and reporting the duty and whatever you guys want me to do? Or is that story that man, Vince really likes to get close with the top guy. Are they talking on a pretty regular basis about, Hey, what about this? What about that? Does Sean have input in his creative and programs here in 96? Uh, everyone from Bruno San Martino, uh, and ever since has always had input into who they were working with and their programs. So Sean had the same input as everyone before him and everyone after him. I guess what I'm getting at is at least at first, maybe not an execution, but the idea Sean had to be on board for the Vader thing. Right. I mean, for him to be such a big flair fan, I'm sure he liked the, the matches that Vader and flair put together over the years. Uh, I, I guess so. I really do. I d- to that. I have no idea. So we know that the plan is going to be Vader, at least for a few pay-per-views in a row here, but we start with SummerSlam and that's when things really got sideways. And we've talked about SummerSlam 96 in the archives. Don't forget to check that out over something to wrestle.com. But it's very apparent in that match that there are communication issues. And you've even said on the show here that you felt like you didn't get the WCW Vader, that Vader was not as motivated, not as agile, whatever that you've said in the past is Sean sort of being loud and proud about that in the back immediately after SummerSlam. Sean wasn't happy with SummerSlam by any stretch of the imagination. And I also think that there was a big part of Vader that was left in WCW. And a lot of people attribute that to the altercation with Paul Orndorff in the dressing room. I really don't know because I never, I didn't know the Vader of, you know, lore, if you will. I knew the Leon that came to us and he wasn't, uh, self-assured, you know, uh, Hey, I'm going to do this. It wasn't this, it wasn't what I expected. And it was a very, I guess, somewhat paranoid and, um, unsure of himself in, in a lot of respects. And, what I expected. And I don't, you know, just say, well, what'd you expect, Bruce? I don't really know. But it wasn't it wasn't this guy that saw himself as, man, I'm the man. In a way he he said it, he said the words, but I don't know that he meant the words. So you know, we know that for a variety of reasons, uh, and I think most people say it's primarily because of Sean's influence. Vader's going to ultimately lose this spot as the top heel working with, uh, with Sean on the next few pay-per-views. He definitely got SummerSlam, uh, but that's a wrap. Is that really when the volume got turned up on Sean and Cornette? Like it got sideways in a hurry. I think that Jimmy was looking at the match in San Antonio and he, he had already, you know, had his promos in his head coming to the ring is general Santa Ana and, and things of that nature. Um, so for Cornette, I think that it was personal and oh, damn, you're taking my main event away from me. Um, so I think he saw it on both sides. I, you always, no matter who you are and, and I'm included in this, when you, when you have an idea and you have something planned out, 
that in your head you feel is the only way to go. When, when you commit to it, man, it's the only way to go. You can't see anything else. You become blind to everything else out there. And you want it to work so bad that you're willing to make any excuse. You're willing to do whatever you have to do to make it work. And I think that that's probably where Corny, even myself, man, we, we had we had a plan. And that plan got screwed up. So now you got to come up with something else. Cornette was probably also frustrated with living on the road. I mean, this is the era where Cornette is about to say, Hey man, I just need to work in the office. I don't want to make all these towns anymore. And it won't be too far from now where he's like, can I not just go back to Louisville for something? So Cornette was just frustrated with his existence in wrestling at this point, I would guess. Right. Not at this point. I don't think he became that frustrated until the Russo years. Okay. Let's, um, let's talk about what's next here. And it's going to be setting up the September pay-per-view. So talk about a change of pace. We're going to go from Vader and you're telling the big man story. Uh, oh, and then July was that weird random hodgepodge six man tag where Sid comes back. But originally it was the warrior. What the hell? But now in September, it's another former big time WCW heel. Uh, and once upon a time, Vader and cactus Jack, man, they made history, but now Sean's going to get them back to back here, except it's not as cactus Jack. It's as mankind. And what a 1996, this has proven to be for Foley. You know, there's three guys who had incredible 1996s here in, um, in the WWF stone cold, Steve Austin is going to become stone cold, Steve Austin. He's going to drop the ringmaster namesake. Austin 316 is born. He gets the big co-main event with, with Brett at survivor series 96. Meanwhile, cactus Jack comes in, becomes mankind almost immediately programmed with the undertaker an incredible series of matches. And now somehow my goodness, he's got a world title shot, a main event. Considering that Vince didn't want to hire Mick, this has to be a huge feather in the cap for him to be in a pay-per-view main event. And the result, as you and I just covered it a few months ago is one of the best in your house, main events of all time. This had to be, uh, a, a point of pride for you and Jr. and the folks who were pushing for Foley behind the scenes, right? Sure. It was. And, and it was also a testament to a guy like the undertaker who was able to go out immediately and say, I love working with this guy and this guy being mankind. So from there it was okay. Well, immediately mankind was made when he came out and attacked the undertaker and was able to, to hang with undertaker and do what he did. So Sean was a logical next step. And I don't know that there were a whole lot of people that went, ah, man, you know, Sean's going to have this great match with, uh, mankind, but holy shit. Did he? He really did. I mean, if you haven't seen that, go out of your way to see it. You know, Sean has, has really become, you know, the main event here in 1996, but he's shown all these different styles too. I mean, he wins the Royal rumble. He has a great technical match with Owen Hart. He has maybe the ultimate technical match in the Ironman match with Bret Hart. And then immediately has 
one hell of a pay-per-view classic with diesel, a couple back to back with Sean pretty, I mean, not Sean, but Davey pretty interesting shows there. Given the circumstances, the weird six man, then Vader. And now something totally different, uh, a harder edge, Sean Michaels that we got to see more of the badass Sean Michaels. And to this day, I think Foley thinks this is one of the best matches he ever had. Sean was just a universal dance partner. I mean, he was really the best wrestler in the world in 96. Was he not? Absolutely. And you look at that match to me was another, you know, turning point in both Mick and Sean's career too, because it solidified Sean as, oh my God, you know, Sean is that guy that can go in with anybody and have a great match as if you didn't already know that. And Mick Foley was the guy that you looked at and said, holy shit, he's, he's great. He can go and tremendous character and unbelievable athleticism that, you you know, sometimes, man, you looked at him, you go, ah, how can he do what he does? And Mick did it. So it was, it was great for both, both characters at the same time. When we're talking about Shawn Michaels, you know, I, I think it's interesting to see really the, the evolution of him as a performer. Um, but I also want to note that this represents maybe a paradigm shift from Vince, you know, for years, Vince built WrestleMania on the backs of giants like Hulk Hogan. And now with, with Hulk Hogan and the NWO and, and, and the macho man and sting and all the other stuff happening on the other channel, their main events look more like, you know, the next month we're going to see Roddy Piper come back. The next month we're going to see macho man and Randy Savage in the main event. And then Piper interacts. And then that becomes the next main event for their big December show. Meanwhile, over here, you don't have quote unquote aging stars. And I know that that was a big issue when we were doing the whole billionaire Ted skits and and the huckster and all that jazz. But Vince really did have a paradigm shift from, Hey, if we can't have the biggest stars in the world uh, and the stars that I made, but literally biggest, then we'll have the best wrestlers in the world. Because once upon a time, the main event of the WWF was not really where the best wrestling happened. The the main event was where Hulk Hogan lived. And if you wanted the best wrestling, you probably needed to look at that intercontinental bout where it might be a a Mr. Perfect or, or a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels. This is a little bit of a shift for you guys though, is it not? It's less of an attraction and more of a great wrestler, more of a great story. Well, I think that it was, it was both. It was the approach of we, we do have the great attraction. He also happens to be one of the best wrestlers in the world as well. So you had both when you paid your money, you knew that you were going to get quality. Um, you still needed, you still needed the attraction. And you can have the greatest quality in the world sometimes and and not have the attraction that people want to pay and come see. And that's what we were looking for. And also during probably latter 96, 97 in, in the house show business, the live event business definitely went up. And while WCW was, as we talk about 83 weeks, kicked our ass in ratings we were as a company 
making more money because our live events were doing well. We weren't spending near the money that WCW was. Right. So it was, it was a win for us. Like, okay, hey man, have the ratings, pay it, pay all that astronomical money, and we're going to make money over here. So, however you want to paint that win, you can paint that win. I am curious from as best you can recall, because I don't see where business is necessarily a booming. Let me give you an example here. You guys did a Monday night raw, uh, at the Hershey park arena, 3,900 fans here in September. Uh, and then, you know, your next superstars taping is state college PA 3,100 fans. So we're not exactly doing gangbuster business. I can't say it's just awful, but let me continue down. But when the you, when you go into 97, it, it did, it was on the uptick and we were doing better year over year. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, I just want to give some, some examples because sometimes people say, oh, well, how does he draw his champion? And unfortunately people still to this day say, oh, diesel was the worst drawing champion in history, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Joe Lewis arena, September 27th, 4,847 fans. But check this one out. Madison square garden, September 29th. It is a matinee show, but still it's Madison square garden. 3,917 paid. Like you lost money running that building that day. Did you not? There's no way you could break even at that. Yeah, probably so. I guess I'm wondering at any point as we start to wrap up the year of 1996, I know we've still got a few pay-per-views to go, but we're, we're several months into Sean's reign now as we, as we finish September. So he was on top for April, May, June, July, August, and now September. And you were saying earlier, Hey, I think it takes six months. It's been about six months and we're not exactly crushing it with ticket sales. Is Vince still sort of scratching his head and wondering what do I need to do with Sean? Or is it more of, is he the right guy? Was he second guessing the decision to make Sean the man? Yeah. I think that from a standpoint of not happening nearly as fast as we would like to. And did we make the right decision? You question yourself every single time, no matter what. And as you get there, but there was, is you're looking at it, man, this was back in a time where we could also have a plan and stick with it as best as possible. You know, believe me, it was, at least there still was a plan there by God, we're going to see it through. And some have worked out. Some have not. I mean, I guess the question is you see what Sean can do in the ring and he has all these classic matches with all of his opponents. And I don't think there's any question, at least in North America, he's the best wrestler here, but you have to wonder when business isn't a booming, do we have the right story for Sean? Should Sean have been a heel? Are we asking him to be something he's not? Have we not found the right opponent for him? Have we not told the right story for him? Or is it just simply, Hey, he's a hell of a wrestler, but he's not the attraction that people want to see on top. There's a lot that you could just guess because you don't really know because you are trying him as a baby face and not a heel and you aren't maybe as loaded as you were a few years ago, roster wise. Um, it's just interesting to think what if Vince pivoted sooner 
for whatever reason. Yeah, that's a what if. We'll never know the answer to that question. But the question then is, okay, if not Sean, who? Right. And there wasn't there wasn't a good answer to that question. We do know in, in the next WrestleMania, so a handful of months, six months from now, if not Sean, who became taker? Would that have been the answer if you aborted earlier? At that time, I don't think so. I think that it would have. Yeah, I, I don't, I just don't think so. I hated that while I loved it personally, I hated having to go to Taker when we did anyway, because it was, uh, we need to do this. And it, it I, I just don't think that it, the timing was right. I could totally see how people would say and guess it though. Uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, mid mid Hudson civic center, December 1st, there's 1700 fans there. Uh, Utica, New York Memorial auditorium, 1,256 fans there to see Sean and Goldust on top, uh, December 13th or December 3rd, rather 1646. Uh, that's in Potsdam, New York. Binghamton, New York, 1,622 fans. These sound like indie shows. This doesn't seem like the world. Don't sound like indie shows, 1996. Uh, you get the idea though. I mean, you, for years and years, you guys would run arenas and man, you couldn't just give away. You couldn't, you couldn't squeeze another person in the, in the building and now business is down. And I guess I'm wondering if you guys were second guessing it, Hey, um, is it this, is it that? Did you ever think maybe it's just Sean is too bland of a baby face or Sean needs to be a heel or maybe a baby face with an edge. It, it's just hard for me to land on. Sean's not a good enough wrestler. Nobody will pay to see Sean. I don't believe that. So it had to be something else, right? It had to be the garnish. Yeah. And it could be the, the new gas station opening up down the road and you know, you can, you can second guess things and during this time, I think it was an attempt to we're going all in. We're going to ride this out and see where we are. Um, and that that's just it. Yeah. You can second guess it, you know, after the fact and Monday morning quarterback it till the cows come home, but it won't change the fact that this is where we were. This is where we wanted to be in 97 and we think if we stay the course that hopefully everything's going to come around and, you know, never got to realize that either, but things change and that's the business that we're in. Do you think Sean was ever regretful here? I mean, he's the top guy, but by the time he's the top guy, he's the top guy of effectively the number two organization. Now, historically that's a laughable statement. The WWF was so far ahead of everybody else. They'd lapped him twice. But with the, the heat of this NWO angle, now WCW is moving on up and well, the WWF is not. And what's interesting is has this, this whole concept that's blowing up on the other channel. It's literally Sean's buddies. Do you think Sean had a tinge of what if at any point? Well, I know he did. I, I know that Sean felt sometimes that boy, if, if. If I could have just gone there, what, what would it have done? And 
We'll never know that answer. And I don't know. I don't know that Sean would have been as successful there. I really don't. I don't think there's any way he would have been. It feels like it still would have been the macho man, Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper show. And he would have been slotted in that second tier, as opposed to being number one, even though there's no comparison once the bell rang, um, as far as you, as a fan, did you see some of the spark in Sean start to fade? Like sometimes it's more about the chase. And I guess there's a difference in becoming champion and chasing the title versus actually being the title. Did you think you had the same Sean before and after the belt, or did you see a change in the character or the, or the person? I only bring this up because yeah, you, but you, it once, was subtle. You, you once made a comparison about diesel though, that you positioned diesel a certain way. And once he was the top guy, then you had Jr. start talking about Kevin Nash and being a, a basketball athlete and blah, 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 that maybe the build of being the guy was what got him so popular. But now that he's here, well, we got to change some things. And I'm wondering if that's kind of what we did with Sean here with Jose. And now he's more of a white meat baby face, or do you think we did the same thing with Sean that we did with diesel? Maybe a little bit. No, I don't. You know, we did the deal with Jose to get him, you know, to that point, And we're using Jose to get to the Alamo dome and do a big event in San Antonio. So I, we didn't change Sean in the process that tweak had already been made and we knew that we were going back to the original Sean, um, with diesel, it was more of a, Oh my God, here's this guy that can go to the sports award dinners and, and sit with the top sports attractions in the world at the time and be able to, to hang and be larger than life. That wasn't Sean. Let's, uh, let's mention that on the heels of this big, uh, mind games, pay-per-view main event with, uh, mankind and what a show it was. Sean's not even on the next pay-per-view. He does wrestle for the live crowd there in the house, but it's all about buried alive. So it's going to be the undertaker and Mick Foley and the WWF champion is not going to be on the pay-per-view. That can't feel like a good indicator for the confidence that the the company has in you to help sell the pay-per-view or be a draw or what have you. Well, you can't, you can't have your champion on every, in your house at the time was a philosophy. We were doing two hour pay-per-views and if it's the same attraction every month, it was kind of, ah, we didn't want to do that. And buried alive was a big enough attraction in and of itself. So tried to be judicious as we could by not, not having Sean on that. But you had had the, the champion on every in your house that year. Not that one. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I'm okay. Well, because you had had him on, give him a rest. You, you got to give him a rest at some point. Uh, so at this point, Sean knows what the plan is going to be that Vader's out and Sid is in. I'm sure Sean also knew if we're going to tell this story of the Alamo dome, uh, and the Royal rumble, that he's going to have to lose the title. When do you think all of that vision was sort of laid out to Sean about, we're going to have you lose it in Madison square garden, but we're going to book this giant dome and it's going to be the Sean Michaels homecoming. When do you think all of those plans were were laid out to Sean? 
Oh, we had that in July. So Sean loved the idea of a dome show in quote unquote, his hometown. I mean, that's, that's a huge vote of confidence from the company. Yes. Does it in hindsight, giving some of the, you know, I was just running through December gates or December attendance and we got some shows in there that drew 1200 fans. And now we're thinking we can fill up a dome the very next month with this same cast of characters. If you want to hear more about how that all came to be, I think one of our, our first favorite episodes that we did is Royal rumble 97 available in the archives. So Sean have any issue with, uh, with losing the title to Sid at survivor series zero was how ready was he to, to move on from having Jose ringside with him and, and how badly do you think that, or did it, do you think that hurt his presentation as champion in hindsight? I mean, I know you said it was kind of done as soon as he won the belt, but in hindsight, could it have been more successful without Jose there? Possibly, but I kind of looked at Jose much like Bob Backlund with Arnold Scholden. Okay. Did, did Arnie really add anything to Backlund's presentation? No. Yeah. But it, it was a steady and with Jose and Sean, I think it was okay. Um, here's where we are and we know where the end, you know, we know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Of course, at that same show survivor series, which we recently covered, uh, that's where Brett's going to come back. And we know that they're both going to be doing promos sort of talking about each other. Brett's even going to mention play girl and all that. Um, and you even talked about when we covered in your house, it's time that Brett and Sean sort of had a, a gentleman's agreement. Hey, let's really shoot on each other. Let's get people talking. And Sean loses the title at survivor series. One of the better matches that Sid ever had, probably the best, uh, but it tells a great story. And that night in New York, the fans were booing Sean. They were 100% behind Sid, maybe not hundred percent, but boy, it felt like it. And he knows the plan is for him to get the title back at, um, the big Royal rumble show in January, but we've still got one more pay-per-view and we just recently covered it in your house. It's time. And once again, Sean's not wrestling on the pay-per-view, but instead he's doing commentary. And boy, we see Sean with an edge here in a major way. It almost feels like, Hey, I lost the title. Jose's not with me anymore. Now I've got my, my edge and my swagger. And this version of Sean is what we're really going to have until he leaves the company in 98. Right? Yeah. And uh, more than anything, it was to, to build up to that confrontation with Brett and it was both guys having a, a sharper edge from Brett and from Sean so that, you know, pick your side because you definitely had a, nah, I don't know if you really had a divide, but you did really have a divide between Brett and Sean, the Brett fans, there were Sean fans and both were very invested in their characters. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the edge that we were looking for. And I think the edge that that people liked, you know, we've talked to you and I've talked about WrestleMania 12 before and how it's really the first time they did baby face versus baby face as a main event since WrestleMania six. And neither one of those really sold the way Vince would have wanted it to. So if we're really headed towards Sean and Brett 
as a rematch at WrestleMania 13, which everybody agrees is the plan. Now with Brett coming back very much as a baby face, do you think Sean just assumes, or is it even implied? Hey, Sean, uh, we're not going to do a baby face, baby face main event again. We're going to move you over to the heel side because we started to see a little bit of that edge in commentary. So I'm just wondering, I know he's going to be a baby face at survivor or not survivor series, but Royal rumble 96. It's the big hometown story, blah, blah, blah. But were you really going to try an all baby face main event for WrestleMania 13 again? No. What would the plan have I, been? Who would have pivoted? I, I think that we really would have let the audience make that choice, but I think that they would have made the choice of Sean being the heel and Sean was more natural of a heel. Yeah, for sure. Do you think there was any sort of resentment on Sean's side that Brett coming back and the crowd reaction for that? And now maybe some of the down houses, Oh, this guy's here to take my top baby, baby face spot. Not that he really wanted it anyway. He wanted to be healed, but of all the people that could have been, it's fucking Brett. Did, did that annoy Sean? Probably. Yeah. I, I think from, from a real ego standpoint. Yeah, probably did. Uh, of course, Sean is involved in the finish of Sid and Brett, as we covered last week at, in your house, it's time. Uh, but these promos where he's calling Brett a whiner and how he'll beat Sid at the rumble, like a man and won't cry. If he loses, there's some, some internal heat and, and some hurt feelings. And we talked about that on in your house. It's time. And you know, the story from there, but that's going to bring 1996 to a close for Shawn Michaels. What do you think the bis- biggest misconception of Sean during his 96 run was? I think, I don't know misconception, but I think that for 96, that Sean did prove to be, uh, the guy that was willing to do any and everything that was needed from him to, as the champion, um, that Sean was, that Sean was a problem, I guess was, is probably the biggest misconception in 96. He turned into, you know, uh, after the fact, and, and again, you know, you have your rough patches with, with everybody, but, um, I think the biggest misconception is that Sean was a problem child all the way through. In hindsight, do you think Sean was emotionally mature enough to be the top guy in 96? That's questionable. And I think that's just a matter of opinion uh, on one to one level. Yes. To another level. No, he wasn't. Would you change anything back? You know, looking back at it, if you could go back in time and change one thing about Sean's 1996, what would it be? Well, it doesn't concern Sean. The only thing that I really would have changed, uh, if I had the power to would have been to keep razor. Let's, uh, let's do some fan questions and then we'll wrap this one up. Uh, dollar bill. Dave wants to know whose idea was it for diesel to power bomb Michaels through the table at good friends, better enemies. Tables hadn't really been a thing in WWE other than that Brett spot at survivor series. Uh, my local news even showed this spot after the match. So yeah, that was a pretty innovative spot at the time. If it's getting local news coverage. Yeah. Well, it was getting the, the show was getting the news coverage. It just happened to show that spot. It wasn't like, Oh my God, someone went through a table. Let me put it on the news. 
Um, but I think that I don't know it came from Diesel and Sean wanting to do that spot. So I don't know which one of them actually came up with the idea to do it. Michael McClanahan says, had the WWF been surpassing WCW in 96 in terms of popularity and ratings, do you believe Shawn Michaels would have had the same perceived attitude problems, uh, or would he have been easier to deal with? That's an interesting idea. Like, how do you think Sean would have handled the success? I mean, on some level, this has to be uh, almost careful what you wish for. He wanted to be the top guy. He is, but his friends are gone and the houses are down. So it's almost like, oh man, this is a little humbling here. But if they had the massive success, the NWO did, would he have been easier or more difficult to deal with as a result? I think it would have been the same. I, I, I truly do. I don't know that, uh, that Sean would have looked at it and either way, I think that you would have had some of the same issues regardless. Interesting question here from Adam. If the curtain call had happened somewhere other than Madison square garden, does Bruce, does Bruce believe the effect would have been the same? Like what if that happens in Chicago? Or Sheboygan, is it more important and, and more damning because it happened in Madison Square Garden? Well, happening anywhere to me would have been would have been horrible, but it was an extra slap in the face, I think, because it was the garden and that's kind of sacred ground. Uh, Lenny wants to know, with the benefit of hindsight, could Bruce look back and see trouble brewing with Brett and Sean in '96, or was it pretty much all professional until '97? No, you know, again, it was, it was two guys that were, Hey man, we've got this idea. This is what we're going to do. This is what we want to do. And this is how we want to do it. Um, so no, until it got pretty personal later on, on the way, yeah, you didn't necessarily see it. You thought it was good shit in 96. I did anyway. I think we've covered this one before, but I just want to ask, because I don't think we explicitly said it here. Instagram, a wrestling historian says the original 1996 survivor series poster had Vader on it. Instead of Sid, was he 100% going to beat Shawn Michaels for the WWF championship? The idea being, was it really, truly plug and play with Sid and Vader? Yes, it was. How do you think that New York crowd would have reacted to Vader? And we saw how they reacted to Sid. I mean, he's coming out to fist bumps and asking people who's the man and Vladimir's there. And it's quite the presentation, but it almost feels like that New York crowd is solidly behind Sid. Do you think they would have been that same way for Vader? Hard to say. I don't know that any audience was what people really expected them to be for Vader. It just feels like almost on some level to me. And I realized Sid had been you know, the man in WCW, but I just consider Vader more of a WCW guy. And maybe it's because Sid had had a run here before, or I, I'm not sure, but it almost feels like New York would have thought, no, he's, he's that down South guy. I could be wrong. I, I no, I, I think that's a very real possibility. Uh, Dustin says Bruce has often said that Vince had a soft spot for Sean because he saw himself in Sean and that Sean could get away with more backstage than others because he saw his passion. What was the biggest backstage blow up Bruce ever witnessed between Vince and Sean? I don't know that there ever was one that was in, in public. I don't know that there really ever was one. Jordan says since 96 was more or less an investment year, would you say that most of the talked about events, uh, that made you or the company roll with the punches quicker 
to make it the best you could, or was it, Hey, let's get through this. And it wound up better than expected. Well, it was, let's get through this and let's, let's stick with the plan and go to the other side and, and have, you know, have that feeling of by God, when we get to the other side, it's all going to shake out. Uh, Michael wants to know, was there ever consideration to have Sean defend the title against Owen at some point in 96, given that Sean beat Brett for the title and that Sean had faced bulldog. I know that the pay-per-view happened with the two of them before WrestleMania, but it wasn't really the main event and it wasn't for the world title. Given the fact that you did have that story from the Enzigiri, do you think eventually you would have gotten around to Sean and Owen and you just didn't have the right uh, enough time yet? Yeah. And you know, Owen was a viable opponent because you look back, Owen beat Brett and Owen in and of himself, unbelievable talent. So yes, we would have definitely got there. Uh, Drew wants to know what was Sean's attitude on the Brett stone cold match at survivor series. That match stole the show. Did Sean think it hurt the heat for him and said the main event? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Sean and, and Sid had the story. Here's the fun question. Fernando wants to know, has Bruce ever had a moment like Sean Michaels where the boyhood dream came true? And if so, what was it? WrestleMania 17 coming out in front of 70,000 people at the Astrodome in Houston. I thought you were going to talk about that massage you got on your Well, heart. you know, yeah, there was that one with sheep like span around or whatever. Dustin Kennedy wants to know, does Bruce, does Bruce, think Bruce. Uh, Bruce think the click would have ever been an on air group for the WWE had Hall and Nash stayed instead of leaving for WCW. That's interesting to think about in hindsight. Could they Possibly. have done Could the, yeah, I could see Possibly. that. Cause you did have, you know, the, the female group of fans or just Sean's group of fans were called the click K L I Q here in 1996. And. Uh, little boys and girls were dressing up just like Sean with all the swag that you were selling. And I guess in theory, there could have been a click, but that's kind of fun to think about them as a six man, instead of that hodgepodge ultimate warrior and Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> uh, Kenyon wants to know, it was very evident. Sean looked distraught in the backstage area when he was shown on camera, uh, before his survivor series, 96 entrance versus Sid. He was highly indicating he was going to lose. Did Sean get any heat for it? I knew he was going to lose just looking at that. Uh, there's a phrase in the business that, that I learned 20 years ago from, from reading observers and watching shoot interviews and what have you boo-boo face. Do you think Sean had boo-boo face at survivor series 96? And was that an issue for Sean? No, that was part of the story. It was Sean was Sean was going in against Sid feeling that, oh my God, this this could be it. And his head, his head was already there. That was part of the story. Did you ever see Sean get boo-boo faced? I don't think he had boo-boo faced. No. Have you ever heard of anyone getting boo-boo faced? Is boo-boo faced a thing or is it all make believe? You got boo-boo faced right now. Oh no, I don't. I'm just trying to make yeah, you do. I can see you. <laughs> it's boo-boo face a thing, Bruce. Yes, you have boo-boo face right now. In professional wrestling, not in podcasting. Yeah, I think that there are guys that, that definitely will go out sometimes the attitude of, eh, okay. Give me an example. Not a current one, but give me an old example. 
Uh, there were guys. There were guys who used to go out if they knew they were going to lose uh, with a limp. Mm. You know, it was. Uh, I think Coco was was someone that you could kind of tell a lot of times. Coco would go out out with a limp. You know, before if he was not going over and uh, doing the honors, so it's like, ah, well, man, I came in at half speed, so. Uh, horror movie barbecue says, how did Sean and Vince react after the match to the fans, uh, accidentally pushing over the barricade while trying to reach for Sean at in your house. I always presumed Vince would just react with anything can happen live, pal. I kind of assumed when those barricades would collapse, that that was almost like a planned spot. Like they would Hell make sure. No. Okay. Yeah. Not a planned spot. Why weren't they hooked in then? I don't understand that. I, I don't know either. That's, that's the building. Uh, you'd have to ask them that question as we did. What the hell guys. Ted, the hillbilly heel wants to know, what do you think Sean's best match in 96 was? Now, that's an interesting Probably Mick Foley. You like that over WrestleMania 12. Well, yeah. I mean, it's different, two different matches. WrestleMania 12 for WrestleMania match with the downs, one of the greatest matches of all time. I think that for Sean and being able to break through to another side would be mankind and Philly. I totally agree. I think it's my favorite. My second favorite is where it gets tough though. Is it going to be Kevin Nash or Sid for me? Uh, Daryl says, um, HBK said on a DVD set that he felt the boyhood dream story really watered his character down, took away the edgy elements that made him cool in the first place. Would Bruce agree that his character overall was just too toned down during this period? I do not. I think it was the right story to tell at that time. Uh, Adam Arpin has a fun one. How different would Sean's 96 have been if he could have had a 500 pound Yokozuna instead of a 650 pound Yokozuna. That's kind of interesting to think about because Yokozuna really did help make Brett. Do you think he could have helped Sean as well? I think he could have, but, but not at that weight. No. Uh, AG says if the curtain call did not happen and Hunter Hearst Helmsley won the 96 King of the ring, like it was booked and not Austin would triple H have been working with Shawn Michaels for the title in the second half of the year. Sure. Uh, the Rosen coaster wants to know you've often mentioned how good gold dust and Austin matches were with Sean over the house shows here. Why didn't we see respective programs with the two on TV? Well, first of all, we, we got to the Sean and Austin one and just, you know, shit happens. Uh, I think that, you know, from the knee storyline and all that other good stuff, just shit happens. Last one. Then we'll wrap this one up. Steve hates wrestling wants to know, did you consider Sean a big merch seller back in 96 with all of the fingerless gloves and sunglasses and t-shirts and what have you was Sean the top merch seller in 96? Yeah, he was. And probably because he had the most merch. Well, we hope you guys have had, uh, a really good build up to your holiday season, but we'll be back next week. Bruce, I can't believe this is real. Our next show will be on Christmas Eve and we're doing a primetime watch along from December of 1988. This is going to be a lot of fun. A little old school, a little Christmas WWF from 1988. That's going to be a good time. Is it not? I hope so. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in boys and girls. We're out of time. Goodbye. Rock on. (laughs) 
We'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Yeah, I'm not partial over you. You have lunch one time? See? John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.